Welcome to E to the Power of Three, a podcast of Bridging the Gap, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. My name is Kristen, and today we are honored to hear from radio talk show host, national speaker, and best-selling author Susie Larson, as she has a conversation with our podcast host, McKelty Bloom. In this encouragement episode, they will be discussing themes around what is Advent, what does it mean to make room for Jesus, how do we have holy expectancy, and how can we refocus this Advent and focus on what truly matters. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome everybody to another E to the Power of Three episode. I am so excited for this conversation today. We are joined by Susie Larson. Susie, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. McKelty, I'm honored to be with you and thank you for giving me the time. No, absolutely. You you have been a big part of the Bridging the Gap family for some time now. And I we've been trying to ask this question for everybody is what got you involved with Bridging the Gap initially and jumping in with all of us in this oh, adventure? Wow. <laughs> that is such a great question. I don't even know how I met Carol, but I think I think the first time I was connected is I was invited to speak. Um, so many, many years ago, and uh, I, Carol and I just became fast friends. And uh, I told you off the air that she is the most influential woman I know as far as her capacity to multiply influencers. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And I hold her in such high regard. And she's a mentor and a friend. And I love that she's calling you up to do what you're doing. But Bridging the Gap is such a profound ministry. And I don't think we're going to know this side of eternity, the influence of this ministry, of the many thousands of women who've been mobilized to step out before they thought they were ready because someone called it out of them, you know, Um I, I just honor uh, the gift of God in and through this ministry. I'm super grateful to be part of it. Yeah. And you have been our Thrive MC for, oh, I don't even know how many years, as long as I've known Thrive <laughs> and also um, have been to our sisterhood leadership retreat as a breakout. I know your husband joined you. I think it was two years ago. 2020 is kind of a blur for me. So I don't even know my year counts anymore, but I have loved having you share your heart and your wisdom for um, all of the Bridging the Gap ladies as well. But for those of you who might not know Susie, you'd be able to just share a little bit about yourself in an un- introduction and then we'll dive into what we're going to talk about today. Well, absolutely. I've been married to my hubby, uh, Kevin, for almost 37 years. We have three grown sons and they're all married. And uh, from one son, we have uh, two grandbabies and number three is due very soon in the next few weeks. And uh, we're believing God for a miracle with one of our other sons who's been battling, he and his wife been battling infertility for a lot of years. So uh, we're just asking the Lord for a miracle there. Mm -hmm. Uh, My hubby is a commercial construction manager by day. So he builds big hospitals and stadiums. And so he's an infrastructure guy. Um, And then he manages the ministry. And then I, I work by day in radio. I have a daily talk show um, on Faith Radio Network. And then I also have a Sunday night show on KTIS. It's just a one hour music, you know, like a DJ where I'm just sort of plugging in content in between the songs Um, and then speak. And I write. um, So I've I've got 18 books. um, If I count the couple that are coming out soon in this next year, Um, I'm an introvert. So I thrive with radio and writing because those are very solitary. Mm -hmm. Um, We um, speak nationally and I hold that on a short leash because I deal with some very significant chronic health issues. And because at this age and stage, um, when I see other marriages 
of women who are out speaking all the time and their husbands are at home. I'm not dissing it. I'm just saying I've seen and known the stress that that puts on a marriage. So we we either are out together or we're home together. But uh, Mm -hmm. that is a non-negotiable for both of us. So I'd probably say no to more events than I say yes to, but we're still plenty busy on the road. And, you know, Carol, I I wanted to quit speaking a few years ago because of the physical cost. Every time I come home, I have to recover and I set back and then inflammation and neurological symptoms arise. And Carol was the one we were out to lunch and she leaned across the table. She grabbed my arm and she said, you cannot quit because she said, you know, the radio and the writing, they, they do bear fruit. But she said, they play to your introvert nature and you're alone. And she said, you've got to see people. You've got to touch people and you've got to hear their stories. And she was 100% right. So, so for me, you know, as you know, I I have uh, extrovert speaker friends who thrive on all the attention, (laughs) thrive on the late nights. And I'm like, it's going to kill me (laughs) when I get to hold a woman's shoulders, you know, before COVID, I I'm a hugger. I'm a kisser. I kiss women on the cheek all the time, just with a holy kiss. And I, I mean, as an introvert, that seems odd, but I love touching women and praying for them and seeing their story. And maybe that's not odd because that's a one-on-one connection, but all Mm -hmm. that to say, um, even though the physical costs me so much, it, the spiritual, we see so much fruit in these events that I'm not going to quit until God tells me to. It's just my own flesh wanted to go, "Uh, this is so hard, but we do hard things. I mean, I think of missionaries in persecuted church. They're doing very hard things. This is not hard compared to that. So um, anyway, that's we have very full lives and we're super grateful to steward what God has entrusted to us. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, we love all your ministry and your work and um, your most recent piece of work that is absolutely beautiful. I don't know if you all have seen the cover of this, but I saw it and I was like, I'm going to need a minute just to look at that. It's gorgeous. Isn't it just, I mean, what Bethany, how I, you know, what Bethany House did with this cover. And I will tell you, McKelty, that they, when the first two cover options came, one was just sort of a drab brown door with a very plain wreath. And some just loved it. And, other, and another scene was kind of a starry night with the church in the distance. And I'm so visual and I love nature and those kinds of things that I was drawn to that. But I pulled people on Facebook and some were like, I love the starry night feel, but the church is like kind of off-putting in that when you prepare him room, it's a personal preparation. So the door speaks of this, you know, and so I went back to them and I said, is there any way to merge them? And I said, I just am so visual with, you know, scenic scenes. And I love the starry night idea. I don't know how you would show a door and a night, but it's like, I'm trying to picture showing a door. You'd have to zoom back to see the sky, but I want to see the sky and I want to see the door, and I love the dark blue. And if you look closely at this cover, you see the grain on the door, and then you go low, but at the bottom, then you have the sky. It kind of turns into the sky. It was a brilliant design. I mean, I, too, McKelty, gasped when I saw it. So I can take no credit for it. The designers (laughs) amazed me. So I'm super grateful for it, just because I wanted this warm, holy, sacred invitation on that cover. And I feel like we got that. So, so oh, yeah. yeah, it completely welcomes you in. It completely oh, makes you want yeah. to, to dive into it. And I've had to stop myself. I'm like, okay, I have to save myself for December. You can't start it yet. That's the whole point. But where, where did your heart, you know, start in wanting to write this book? You know, what did that look like for you and say, you know what, I want to sit down and create this Advent uh, devotional um, for this next season, you know, where, where did that come from? 
You know, a couple of years ago, Faith Radio, we did a Bible reading program. Sometimes we'll do those for the Lenten season. And we did this particular one for the Advent season. And we went through the Gospel of Luke. And to go through the Gospel of Luke with Advent in mind was so amazing for me. I mean, it just was this holy invitation to immerse myself into the story in the Gospel of Luke because it's such a detailed account of Jesus' life and his ministry and his impact. So, you know, I, I think sometimes when you think of Christmas, you're only thinking of Jesus as a baby. But Advent means to, to prepare for his coming, to prepare for, Advent means arrival and it means coming. Mm. That's what it means. And so in, you know, generations past, Christians have fasted and prayed for the four Sundays prior to Christmas, fasted and prayed to prepare, to honor his entrance into earth. And, and so what is just for me, just like I'm telling you, I feel so passionate about, I really believe that this can and should be for Christians, the most revelatory Advent season ever, because his arrival, his second coming is nearer than it's ever been before. And you, you know, you'd have to have your head in the sand to, to not understand the chaos in the culture and, and the birth pangs that are on top of each other in the, in the signs of the times. So what a time, I, I think McKelty, we tend to, and I, I love Christmas. I mean, I love Christmas, so I totally get it. But the tendency then is to just sort of party out, you know, because we, we have this accumulation of hurts in our hearts and stresses from life. So it's like, I can't wait for these kind of six, eight weeks of holidays where I can sort of throw caution to the wind and just party and have a good time and sort of forget my troubles. But the problem with that is there's times where we'll numb out, trying hard to not feel the pain in our hearts, and we'll exit this year and enter the next year, toxic, lethargic, feeling like I overate, overspent, overdrank, <laughs> and you feel like I've lost ground. And my, my challenge is to say, you know what, instead of trying hard to not feel, you have to feel it to heal it. So this is actually a perfect time to be super honest about our story and, and, and to enter into a season of anticipation that, that we bring our very real story before a very real God, because he wants to bring revelation to all the accumulative hurts that we have acquired in this last year. Yeah, so good. And you talk about um, in one of the first chapters, um, expectancy. And, you know, that was one of you just uh, the Facebook lives that you did this last week and talking about holy expectancy and, and bringing that to this Advent season. What does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah, you know, and if you followed me for any time, you've heard me say this, but I'm just going to bring this in to bring context. But a mentor, my mentor said to me, I want to say 20 years ago, she said, Susie, there's a big difference between expectation and expectancy. She said, expectation is premeditated disappointment, where you mm. kind of create a bullseye, you create an idea of what your life should be like and what God needs to do for you to be okay. And you're deciding ahead of time, I will be disappointed if this does not happen the way I envision it. Where And, and so often people kind of create that and when it doesn't happen, they get offended with God, they get disappointed, they write off audacious prayer and audacious faith, because it's like, I tried that, it didn't work. Well, not exactly. Expectancy is to say, there's a mystery to following God. His ways are higher than my ways, but faith pleases him. And he knows things I don't know. And he promises that he's writing an amazing story with my life. So I open with holy expectancy where Elizabeth and Zechariah, you know, the story, you know, what it says in scripture is that they were righteous and barren. 
And you don't like to see those two same words in the same sentence, you know, <laughs> holy and heartbroken. But the juxtaposition of these two things of being righteous and barren, holy and heartbroken is the reality for pretty much every believer and will be on this side of eternity where there's where you have. I mean, if you're serious about following Christ, you, you're, you know, you are walking in that holiness and in in your air status at the same time, there's unfinished business in your story. What's so amazing to me is that they were older, you know, that this hadn't happened for them. The desire of their heart had not been fulfilled, yet they didn't give up on God. They still lived holy, righteous lives. And in a very, you know, moment of just divine encounter, uh, Zechariah was alone and then he wasn't. And there was this angel making this announcement that he would have a son. And I'm trying to imagine what that must have been like for these two. But God invaded their story. And, and I feel like we need to look at this to go, you know what, expectation and hope need to make a comeback. Because whenever you see God's 11th hour answers, it's always because he's your story is so much part of the bigger story that the timing, I always say he makes me wait because he's making me ready. And what he's doing in and through you, even in your disappointments and your delays matters in the bigger scheme of life. So we have to cultivate hearts of expectancy and not give up on the fact God is good. His promises mm -hmm. are true and he will always make a way. And, and it matters what you do with the hurts in your heart. And as someone who's battled long and hard with chronic illness, I can't tell you the stretches that have been so hurtful and so disappointing where I go to God going, really? I mean, seriously. And, and I have, I, and, and I'm tempted towards offense, you know, where, and if you look at John the Baptist, there's a place in his story, you know, Jesus said, you know, there's no greater man born to woman, you know, and this is John who was born to Elizabeth and Zechariah, no greater man born to woman. And he was there. He baptized Jesus. He saw the heavens open up on Jesus. But when John later on in the story is, is in prison, you know, he, he loses sight of, of what's true. And this is so often the case when you are thrust into obscurity where it seems like it's happening for everybody but you, or you're a have not and everybody else is a have. There where the action is, you're sort of cut off from the action. The fact that there's no greater man born to woman has the same questions. Are you the Christ or should we be looking for someone else? Mm -hmm. And Jesus' response to me is mixed with compassion and deep conviction. Go back and tell John. He doesn't tell him, where's your faith? You know, he says, go back and tell him. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame, leaping for joy again. But blessed are those who are not offended with me. Mm -hmm. And and this is a, a cautionary word for us that that we are going to have disappointments, but what you do with them really matters. You're going to have times where you're offended with God and, and he can handle it. But I know for me, you can't let that linger for very long because when you stay in a place of offense, you miss the blessing of God and you miss the voice of God. And when I've gotten to places of surrender going, you know, my heart, you know, me, you know, the desires of my heart but I'm going to go face down and surrender. Whenever I surrender, it's always followed by surprise or he surprises mm -hmm. me with his goodness. But this place of disappointment versus expectancy is very critical in the life of the believer. And I think this is a perfect time as we prepare him room to deal with some of those things in your heart. So you can hear blessed are you who are not offended. You're to be envied because it's you've got space in your heart for God to do the miraculous. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so good. And I think exactly what you're saying too, is we, we tend to have this idea of 
okay, I, I'm going to try and understand what God's doing, but I'm still going to have faith. You know, we're holding to, but really it's no, when our understanding ends is when faith begins and believing that we, what we expect in God and that holy expectancy, that's, that's all so good. And you talked a little bit about, you know, preparing him room. That's the season we're in. So what does it practically look like to do that? How do we prepare him room in this Advent season? I'd say we start with being honest about our story, you know, to really give some time and space to consider uh, what, how you want to exit this year, how you want to enter the next year, and where you're inviting Jesus into these places. Because one of the things that we tend to do is we stuff them into the basement, we numb out, and, and we have a temporary relief. But again, we enter the next year kind of lethargic, toxic, and we feel like we've got to, so to prepare him. And one of the things that I do at the end of each chapter is ask for just, you know, fast today from, and, and holidays does not seem like a time to fast, but <laughs> it is a season of prayer and fasting. But what I'm asking sometimes uh, are, are very, I think, simple, but, um, but they require some engagement. Like one of the fasts is fast from overdoing it you know, mm. or fast from explaining yourself or fast mm. from worry, uh, fast from trying to impress instead of blessed, you know, fast from self-contempt. So I, I'm encouraging you to prepare him room and, and engage with Jesus in a way that says, Lord, I, what do you want to talk with me about? And what parts of my story um, have I lost expectancy? What parts of my story have, am I carrying a hurt in my heart towards you about? And, and I think that is just a really sacred, beautiful thing to do. So have your parties, decorate your tree, get together with girlfriends and exchange gifts, but don't let those be the main thing. May the main thing where you create some extra space to sit with God, to say, I want revelation about my story. I want revelation about the times. I want you to speak prophetically to me. And I think uh, he loves prayers like that. And in the hustle mm -hmm. bustle of the season, the enemy would love nothing more than for you to numb out and try hard not to feel the things that are buried beneath the surface. And Jesus would love nothing more than for you to bring those things to him, to let him speak mm -hmm. to you and to heal your heart. I mean, imagine exiting this year and entering the next year with a more healed soul, you know, yeah. that, that you're an heir of God and his promises are for you. Yeah. So what does it look like to practically and just to be acknowledging grief in this season? I know um, a lot of our listeners have heard me share that I have worked in foster care and adoption for the last five years. Um, so I know that this season is not always filled with joy and excitement for so many families who have been battling infertility and just still have that pain um, of not having that, that Christmas gift they want or working with my kids who just have trauma. And sometimes the holidays is the worst time of year for them and not the best. And, you know, so many other stories of just the holidays not being that joy-filled and exciting time of year, the most wonderful time of year, you know, that so many people feel. So what does it look like to what you're sharing um, to acknowledge that grief, to maybe go into that next year, um, being a better person and more connected with Christ? You know, that's a great question. I can't tell you how many of our major crises happened around the holidays. And it felt like such a, a mockery almost to, you know, because it seemed like, you know, when you, when you're hurting and you see the Christmas commercials and everything looks so perfect, you know, the contrast is so stark. I think that's why, you know, the, the grief goes so deep because again, you feel like a have not uh, in, in technicolor, 
because you mm -hmm. see the pictures, you see all the Hallmark movies, and it feels like I am so far from that. And some people are actually living their best season of life while you're bleeding under your armor. So I would say that to acknowledge, first of all, that, that for all of us, there are going to be Christmases that will not soon forget, but for all the wrong reasons, you know, it's like they're imprinted on our heart. I have some of those Christmases. And for others, you know, you're going to maybe be walking through a festive season, but to be so aware of those who are hurting. And uh, I don't know if this is a question that you're going to be asking me later uh, about my Christmas catastrophe, but I feel like I need to share this because I feel like it answers the question. At least I hope it answers the question. <laughs> but, um, you know, my birthday is a week before Christmas. And mm. uh, so it's hard to compete with Jesus. Can I just tell you? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole month of July. It's just so unfair. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there's something of, I love Christmas. And I to have um, so much of our crises happen in Christmas was super painful for me. And then to deal as a young mom with Lyme disease and massive just chronic health stuff. And then all the medical debt, which made us very, we had no money. And so our friends had health and they had wealth. They did. I mean, they, not to say they didn't have troubles, but they really did have the life that I wanted. And I absolutely did not have that. And uh, so struggling with health as a young mom, memory loss and numbing and dizziness and bill collectors calling because of our debt and uh, three little boys. And I remember every year I had that, like, will this be the year? Will this be the year? And because I love Christmas so much, it morphed into an unhealthy Christmas fantasy. I'm like, I would look mm. at these Christmas commercials going, you will be mine one day. <laughs> I'm going to have, I'm going to have a day where my kids all get along and they're dressed in cute Christmas clothes. <laughs> I'm having music playing. My tree is going to be amazing. And I, it really was like scary when I think about, like I had this, you know, unholy expectation that I hadn't realized uh, that I developed. But anyway, every year I'm like, will this be the year? Will this be the year? And we had this wretched little Charlie Brown Christmas tree, artificial tree, and that was all we could afford. And I mean, put little packets of hot cocoa with our kids' presents and we just, we had nothing, no money. <laughs> um, but one spring, Kev's parents gave us this gorgeous, big artificial tree. And I thought, this is a sign that next Christmas, the winds are going to change for us and we're going to have the perfect Christmas holiday and it's going to launch us into a season where life just doesn't feel like we're army crawling every inch, you know? Well, the Christmas holiday came and I, and my, my health was feeling a little bit better. And I'm thinking this is going to be the year. So we had the music going and Kev's out there in the living room, pulling out the Christmas tree and our boys are lifting up the tinsel and dancing to chipmunks. And I'm like, it's here. It's here. And my hubby <laughs> has this has this sweet little habit that he does when he's messed up or feels bad or thinks he's in trouble. We, he rubs his nose. And I peeked out. I'm like, how's it going, honey? While I'm baking cookies in the kitchen. And he rubbed his nose. And I'm like, oh, you rubbed your nose. What's the matter? And he's like, well, uh, so it seems that in the spring cleaning in the previous year, he accidentally threw away a good portion of the big tree and a portion of our pathetic tree. So he had portions of trees that absolutely <laughs> did not go together. And I'm, oh, he, but he did not. He knew I had so much riding on this Christmas. It's so ridiculous and it's embarrassing to admit. But he's like, no worries, hun bun. Go get my screw gun, son. Go get my. And he was like dispatching these little boys. With, and it turned into this construction zone. It was a disaster. It was <laughs> 
chords and it was just and the boys switched from chipmunks to sawdust trying to drill holes and by time this is bedtime now and i just said oh honey i put the kids to bed and i kissed them on the forehead i'm like it's okay we don't need a tree this year crawled into bed in the middle of the night he wasn't there so i i go out in the living room and the whole living room was cleaned up and my hubby was sitting in front of a perfect medium tree and he was holding the control to the lights like they were a control to a race car. And I walked up behind him and he said, I was going to make it rotate, but I thought I should stop while I was ahead. And I, w- I was overwhelmed, like just with the with the cleanliness of the living room because of the disaster that we just had seen in this medium, perfectly decorated tree. And the Lord said, just as Kevin saw, had a vision, you know, for what was possible. I see your story and I know you're in chaos and I know you're in mess, but when you see what I'm going to do, it's going to take your breath away. Mm. And I crawled into his lap and I just wept and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, we were ready for a big tree, but we were ready for a medium tree. And mm. I was overwhelmed with God's goodness that, you know, and I think that chapter is see the story, see your story. And if mm. I could speak to that person grieving, your story is not over yet. I have a friend who said, if it's not good yet, it's because God's not done yet. And and the sufferer and the, the person who's grieving is so close to my heart because I it's like yesterday, you know, and I still have things that are breaking my heart today. I do things that are just like, oh God, how long? But when I look at the heartbreak and the chaos and the mess of having bill collectors and almost losing our house, I understand it. And Jesus does even more so. And he's not lost your address. He's not forgotten where you live. He is near to the brokenhearted. And he is actively writing a story that when it's all said and done, will take your breath away. If you can mm-hmm. just lean into the mystery, but don't do what I did and put an unhealthy expectation on the holiday and, and understand the contrast. Jesus came as, as a baby born in a in a cave with stinky animals and was laid in a trough when people were being crucified outside the city. He came in a time of great oppression, great crisis. We've commercialized the holiday. There was mm. not commercial about the way Jesus came. And he made a point to say, I came for the lowliest. I came for the brokenhearted. I came for the person who is the outcast to identify with the poorest of poor, the, the most dismissed. I came for them. And, and he wrote a story. And this is why I love covering the whole gospel of Luke in Prepare Him Room, because I go to the crucifixion and to the resurrection. Because what I say is the Christmas story isn't just quaint news, you know, a nice story. It is now news. It's not, it's, it's the kingdom that came to earth and blew the doors off of the enemy's claim on us. So if you could step back and, and to me, I will say the kingdom story, the power of the gospel is not for my unrealistic expectations. It's for my impossible situations and those Mm. different things. So I hope that brings some encouragement to someone today. Absolutely. And, you know, you said um, in one of your Facebook lives, and it was a quote that just stuck out to me. It was Advent isn't a Christmas message. It's a gospel message. Amen. That's right. And that was just super powerful for me to hear. And I love that you 
are able to kind of go through that in the whole, the whole devotional of like, this isn't just the beginning. We don't just stop. This isn't just, Hey, Jesus was born. That's exciting. It's no, but continue on with the story. And what, what has that, what has the Advent season just done for you in your life with that understanding of that? It's not just a Christmas message, but it's the gospel message. How have you incorporated that into just how you, um, I don't want to say practice, you know, Advent, but how you are involved in it, how you celebrate it? Well, you know, that's a great question. I, I look, I have tried to cultivate a listening ear and an expected heart all year long. And so when I come into this season, I don't, I, I mean, I deal with the issues of my heart, you know, I, de- I, I'm very honest with God about the hurts and the disappointments. And so I have a very active walk with him. So by the time I get to this place, I have a holy sacred expectancy about Lord, what have I picked up when life let me down? Am I dragging any baggage with me that you don't want in that next year? Give me revelatory wisdom for the landscape ahead. How can you prepare me and how can I prepare room for you? And so I, I feel like because I see it as a gospel message and because I know that his return is nearer than it's ever been. And in the gospel of Luke, Jesus said, if I come back, if I return and find you about my father's business, I will put an apron on myself and seat you at Mm. the table. That's how much readiness means to God. That's how much holy expectancy, because it says, and you know, Jesus also said, when I return, it will be as if the days of Noah, people drunk, getting drunk, partying down, you know, getting, going to parties, doing all their, like, as if there's nothing, you know, significant that's about to happen. Like they're out of tune with the times. And I, what I fear for believers, because there is so much trauma, so much loss, so much heartbreak in this last year is we're going to be like everybody else. And we're going to just party down and try hard not to feel the stuff in our heart. So why are people partying down as in the days of Noah? Because they're trying hard not to feel things that God actually wants to heal. But, but a savior has come and there is consequence to ignoring the gospel message and saying, you know what, I just don't want to feel this stuff. I'm going to party down, you know, and, and we as believers have every same temptation to do that same thing. And I feel like we need to be sober. We need to be alert. We need to be hopeful because goodness is coming. And and we need to prepare our hearts for that goodness in the face of great opposition, in the face of great demonic attack against Christians right now. We need to be the most resilient, confident, hopeful people, because for us, life on earth is as bad as it gets, right? Time in heaven is Mm -hmm. as bad as it gets. And we know things now in this day that when Jesus came that first, you know, that Christmas day, they could not even have imagined. We know more now. Angels just wanted to look into such things. We know the resurrection happened, that the power of the Holy Spirit is available, that the veil was torn in two, that the devil's claim on us was obliterated. And we have all authority over all the power of the enemy. We cannot be living like the rest of the world. And as I talk with people, and, and even with the, the COVID, you know, the quarantines, I, you know, I'm hearing from leaders, I, you know, have a daily radio show. So I hear from leaders every day who said in their church, key leaders have just quit going to church because they went mm. from quarantine to, ah, it's just easier. And this isolation and the disengagement is epidemic. And, and it's time for the church to rise. It's time for the church to re-engage. And I think that's why I feel so passionate about prepare him room. Jesus is coming and we need to live ready. 
Absolutely. And it, this is the time of year for also like battle, spiritual oh, battle. Yeah. And oh, I mean, it's, I think I just, because it's, everyone's distracted. Like you said, we've really commercialized Christmas. And so now people are focusing on, I need to get all the presents and, you know, comparing my house to, you know, the Johnson house and wanting to make sure it's perfect. And we absolutely lose track of what the, you know, as cheesy as it is, the reason of the season, <laughs> we, we lose track of that piece because we're looking at other things. And that absolutely leaves room for the enemy to be like, well, let me just swoop on in here and make you forget. So what do Christians tend to either just wrongly focus on or forget or miss about the season? And what can we do this year to refocus mm-hmm. on what we truly need to be looking to? You know, I think we look to, we default to our own flesh's ability to perform in the holiday season. And it's an incredible time to compare and then despair or compare and have all kinds of pride, right? If we Mm -hmm. make secondary things, the main things, we have missed the reason for the season, you know? And so I say, have your parties, plan your festivities, but let that be a second thing. Mm-hmm. Let the main thing be, Lord, what kind of space do you want me to create? If you don't have an active time with God, start there and plan a divine appointment daily that's unbreakable, non-negotiable. But I would even suggest take it further where you fast maybe one night a week, if not a few nights a week, TV. And you sit down by the tree, you put on instrumental music, and and maybe you read, you light a candle, and you read the devotional, and you walk through it. Because, you know, there's one of the devos in there, I can't remember which date is, where I paint scenarios of the busy woman, it's about the soils, but of the the girl that's not grounded, the girl that's not guarded, the girl that, uh, I can't remember what the third one was, but I kind of you know, create scenarios where you, you kind of see her life where she's so busy and the spirit of God whispers and she waves it away like it's nothing. And then the other woman sitting at the Bible study, but she's checking her phone. Check. I checked that off. I went to Bible study, but nothing went in. And then the one with the good soil. And I, and I kind of draw this picture of Jesus coming to her house and sitting down with her and her having fellowship with him. And so I think that this could be one of those revelatory times. If you could start now, this is why I love talking about this now, decide now, what should that look like? And you don't just pick that out of the sky. You ask Jesus, what's the invitation, Lord? How how can I create room for you so that I can hear from you? Because I think what comes up so often, if you get into the flesh of striving, your stuff's going to come up. Your insecurity. Mm-hmm. You need to bless, right? Instead of impress. You'll say things, yes, to things you could do and not to the things you maybe should do. I mean, the, the, the holy invitation. So it's amazing how we will skip over the main thing and get right into the competition of things and the, and the performance of things and the busyness. And before you know it, you can't wait till the whole thing is over and you've missed an incredible opportunity to meet with God. Yeah. Oh, that was me four years ago. We had newly married and I think we had like six or seven holiday parties just in December. And I was sitting there like, can December just be over? Like, I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. And it was kind of a big hit. You know, it's like, oh, this isn't right. This isn't what we're supposed to be focusing on. If I'm waiting for December to be over and Christmas to be over, this isn't what it should be. We need to figure out something different here. So hopefully that word really helps to encourage someone who might be already dreading the holidays and the family gatherings that you might have to take a step back to really be focusing on what Advent truly is about. Mm -hmm. So 
we we've talked a lot about kind of like ourselves processing through Advent, but I'm wondering if you could speak to how can we be encouraging others in this season as well? You know, it is a season of giving and a season of just caring for those around you and um, pointing others to Jesus in this season as well. So how can we be doing that? Well, you know, it's I what I um, I don't mean to point to the book, but I will just say at the end of each uh, chapter, there is kind of an action step fast mm-hmm. from this. And then there's a prayer. But there's also, you know, like give gifts to those who can't pay you back, you know, mm-hmm. send a note of encouragement to this person. So just trying to give you simple little things. But again, I'm going to ask God what he wants you to do. One of the things we do on my show is we call it the great giveaway where we mobilize people um, to commit random acts of kindness outside their comfort zone. Mm. And I cannot even tell you, we've done this for years. The stories of people coming back going, I would have just been on my track of, like you said, got to buy my presents, got to plan the parties, got to bake the cookies. And it's all about me, 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 my, my, my party. But to get that holy shove out of the comfort zone and go notice somebody you normally wouldn't notice some of the creative stories that have come back where they built their holidays around like one uh, gal had just a heart for special needs kids. So she partnered because one of the years I said, what's the best thing you can do with $15? So she partnered with a bunch of people and, and asked people to multiply the money and they created a party for special needs kids. So the parents could go out on a date. Mm. Um, another person came up with gift cards to, and handed them with sweaters to homeless people that they see sitting kind of in the alleys or whatever. But I think that again, if you could live with a sense of expectancy to say, what is out of my ordinary way of planning? Who can I give a gift to that can't pay me back? You know, I think we tend to give gifts to the rich because we're also, you know, we all are so much better off than, than most. But who can mm-hmm. I give, you know, who can I bless uh, that has hurt me this last year? How can I be a blessing to them? And and so the, the shove to me is out of your normal realm of what's comfortable, because that's where you're going to find, you know, uh, Jesus meets you in a, in a significant way. Um, I just, I invite you to step out of your comfort zone and, and ask God, where can I minister in places that I would normally otherwise never find myself? Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, I, you know, our time is wrapping up way quicker than I wish it would. We could talk for hours, I'm sure. But um, what is just any final pieces of encouragement that you have on your heart just to share with women coming into this Advent season? Well, there's one Devo, and I think it's titled Encountering Jesus. And it's, you know, this juxtaposition of, of two stories that the, there's one story where the Jewish elders come running to Jesus and they're advocating for a Roman soldier whose slave is near death. And it was like normally these people groups were in absolute opposition to one another, but the elders appealed for him because he apparently loved um the Jewish people. He spent some of his own money to build the temple. So they were advocating for him. And this Roman soldier understood authority. So he was so, and he understood humility. And there was something, that juxtaposition of his heart attitude saying, you know what, I'm under authority and I have authority. So I understand your authority, Jesus. And I understand your majesty to the point that I'm I'm not worthy to have you in my home. And that juxtaposition of understanding authority, Watchman Nee once said, you won't have authority until you're under authority. Mm -hmm. I think you want to send the enemy packing and you want to walk in new levels of power, freedom, and anointing. 
practice that that juxtaposition of humility and authority of being under god's authority and then walking in his authority because jesus was in awe of that attitude and heaven finds that that juxtaposition absolutely irresistible and and jesus spoke the word and the servant was healed well then jesus goes to the village of Nain, and here we find a woman i kind of describe her in the book dragging her feet in the dirt trails of tears in a dusty face it was the worst day of her life. Her, her husband had died and now her son had died. And women in ancient Bible times were very vulnerable without a man, without a brother, a dad, a husband, a son. And so there was so much about these losses that were so catastrophic for her. And she's in the funeral procession. So she's not crying out to God. She's grieving guttural sobs. And Jesus interrupts this funeral procession and says, not today, and, and raises that son back to life. And what that does for me is that it reminds me that, that there are times when you're so broken and you're so hurting that you can't even lift your head. And Jesus comes right into your funeral procession and he brings life again. And I want you to remember that is the God we serve. And it's just, I think, you know, in, in uh, the Psalms, it says the, the Israelites refused to believe God's promise to love and care for them. So they grumbled in their tents and refused to obey the Lord. That is what hardens, you know, that's where they yeah. lost their ways. They quit listening to God. They quit staying in awe of God. And then they got offended with God and they refused to believe it. So they got in the smallness of their circumstances and accused God of things he was not guilty of. So man, if you want to prepare him room, deal with those issues of your heart and believe the God you serve is the very God who will walk up to your funeral procession, your deep places of grief and bring life there. That is who we, that's who he is. And that's how he is. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so good. Well, where can people get this book? Because I mean, we have just spent some time talking about it. It's so good. I'm ready to dive into it even more than I was before. But how can people one find you and just get connected with you and two get this book for the holiday season? That's a great question. We do wonder and think it may sell out. So I think sooner than later. And then with the supply chain and the shipping, uh, if it sells out, they're not doing another print run till next year, just because it, we wouldn't even get it till Christmas. Uh, you'll get it quickest on Amazon. You'll get it cheapest on christianbook.com. And we had so many orders that we we filled and almost killed us. So on our, our homepage, if you hit the link, it's going to take you to Baker Books. And while supplies last, if, if you use that link to go to Baker, it's 30% off at Baker and you get a 10 pack of these quote cards that are just gorgeous. Mm. So they're just all different uh, quotes that are just at different designs that have that. Anyway, it's, we've got, I think a couple thousand of these packs left. So on that homepage of my website, suzylarson.com. Now, if you go to the, the store page, if you buy five of these, you'll get uh, a free gorgeous ornament. And uh, these are also for sale individually, mm. but five of these beautiful. And one of these, that's suzylarson.com. So hopefully that helps you. Quickest Amazon, cheapest Christian book. And then uh, the deals on my website, suzylarson.com. Great. And how can people get connected with you on social media? Oh, that's a great question. My handle is Suzy Larson author on Instagram and Facebook. And Twitter is at Suzy Larson. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Susie. This was so life-giving just for me personally, too. I feel like I get like a mini <laughs> sermon with you, which I appreciate. Um, but I know there's just so much hope within your words for women going into this season. So thank you again for your time and congrats on a beautiful book. Wow. Well, I love you. I'm glad that we got some time together. You are a treasure. So good to meet you. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this encouragement episode of E to the Power of Three. We were honored to hear from Susie Larson and McKelty Bloom on the wonderful season, meaning, and focus of Advent. Susie is an author of 18 books, and you can learn more about her and check out her incredible books and resources, including her latest book, Prepare Him Room, a daily Advent devotional at suzylarson.com. You can also follow at MNBTG on social media and check out mnbtg.org to stay up to date on more from Bridget McGap. We look forward to being with you next time on E to the Power of Three. 